Great morning, LCM. Great morning. Today is Sunday, April 30th, 2023. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump straight into the word to start yeah, our message. Come on. Are you ready? Yes. Are you really, really ready? Yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. <laughs> Great morning. Great morning. Verse 14 is where we'll pick up. But thanks be to God. Yeah. Thank you. I want to do that one more time. That's really fun. Yeah. But thanks be to God. Man, I love our church. Who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Come on. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So here Paul's words to the church of Corinth. They are a grounded truth for each and every believer. And I'm specifically talking to each and every believer in this room. From Paul's own experiences of trials and unexpected routes of travel, he declares not only that there is a continual leading of Christ, but also the type of procession Jesus is at the head of. It is a triumphal procession. So a triumphal procession is one that daily secures your feet to move forward victoriously. And victoriously because he has chosen to, to display his glory through you to the entire cosmos. You are his trophy of his triumph. As followers of the triumphant king, how you feel makes no difference. It doesn't mean a damn thing. In fact, in addition to that, what you think is subservient to his stride. Because he is setting the pace with triumph. Yeah. So here's what you have. You have the opportunity to daily rise to your feet and place them where his have already conquered. So that you as well will receive an eternal victor's crown. James 1.12, let me read it to you. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So Jesus chose to bear a crown of thorns so that he could wear the crown as the king of kings. That king who is now parading you around as the glory of his triumph. Therefore, he's destined your head to be adorned with the same crown of life that he wears. And he has chosen you to be the fragrance of his triumph. His intention is that wherever your feet are placed, no matter what soil they stand upon, because of you in that spot, everyone can get a whiff of what victory actually smells like. That's the fragrance that we carry as sons yeah. and daughters of the king. So Paul continues this very idea in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16, and meaning that some will love that fragrance and aroma. Yeah. Why? Because it's the same aroma that's emitting from their very own lives and their walk. And others will hate it. 
Why? Because it is due to their own decay, and that fragrance is a reminder of it. But put these things together. Either way, it is still a triumphant procession. Yes. And we carry around us with, or with us that fragrance of victory at all times. Could anyone go for a good whiff of victory this morning? Just, just take a minute to waft that victory. Can you smell what Christ is cooking this morning? Are we getting a little victory, Adam? You know what? This morning, just as we're getting started, you can talk to us. There's not an invisible, ba- watch this. There's nothing, there's not a barrier here. Crazy. So we're going to interact with you as our, our family, and you're going to interact with us. That's the agreement we have, because today we're all going to catch a new whiff of victory, right? So you're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to jump down to verse 17. That's going to help us set the precedent for the rest of this message, which is going to change your life. We already know that in advance because it came from heaven. And anything that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Verse 17, are you guys there? It says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. You ever pictured Nabal? He's always like Danny DeVito. How do you picture like a peddler of the word? I picture like someone on a little tricycle just trying to pedal their little heart away with everything they got. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. That's honestly what I think about a pedal. We're not doing that today. We, we have something that is from the heavens, and we are confident about how good it is. So in verse 17, it says, we're not those things, but as men of sincerity, as men commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So Pastor Matt and I are coming to you in sincerity this morning to share with you what was revealed to us from the heavens. We have a divine commission to stand before you today and present this word, and we're going to deliver it with all of our heart. This is not done just in the sight of LCM. It is done in the sight of God himself, in his very presence, and we're going to take every bit that he's laid on the table before us. Uh, and we're going to consume it. We're going to go after it. Are you with us on that? So this morning we're speaking to you, LCM, born-again believers. Yeah? Sometimes you just need to be reminded, oh yeah, I have been born again. (laughs) It's not something like, oh man, I forgot to get born again when I chose to follow Christ. No, it happened because he transformed you. We're going to answer the question that's now arisen in your mind. It is not a question of if you are walking in a triumphal procession. The truth of the matter has already been established that Christ always, always leads us in triumphal procession. Come on, take that to work with you tomorrow. Like when it's 6.30 and the alarm goes off, he always leads you in triumphal procession. The question therefore is not if... But how am I to become proficient at being led in it? You guys want to know how? Yes. We'll begin answering the question of how by diving into the Greek culture that's occurring during Paul's day. And something that we know of named the Olympics. Yeah. 
the Olympics. So currently, in our modern day, the Olympics have, uh, well, they, they've dwindled quite a bit. And for a number of reasons that we don't have time this morning to go into. But historically, <laughs> historically, the Olympics were champion events of the ancient world. So as we engage a little bit, how many years in between Olympic events? Four. Four. four years. Well, it was the same at its beginning. That every four years, the most well-trained and outstanding athletes, athletes would contend for the victor's crown. So to win an event in the Olympics, man, that was the best day of an athlete's life. Yes, of course. I mean, they were the hero. All that time of blood, sweat, tears, endless hours of practice, that they trained in order to push their physical bodies to the ultimate limit, have now all culminated in a public display that proves they are the best. Yeah. So in ancient times, the Olympics were held in Olympia, Greece. Every how many years? Four years. Good. This brings up a very practical question. What did these athletes do in between the Olympic events? Oh, you already know the answer. That's good. Because it actually brings us to the title of today's message, which is Olympiad, the time between. So this morning, we want to help you with a little bit of history that will paint the backdrop for many of the New Testament writings. You excited about that? But first, we want to make sure that we are doing more than speaking Greek to you. So let's define what Olympiad is. Olympiad refers to the four years between Olympic events. Now, the Olympics were considered the most prestigious event, but one particular event that was second in popularity was the Isthmian Games. Can you say Isthmian Games? Isthmian. And it occurred during the Olympiad or the time between Olympics. So the Isthmian Games were held every two years, right? In between the four-year period. They were held not in Olympia, but in Corinth. Good try, Rob. <laughs> hey, look, it's better to try and fail than fail by not trying. You know what? Come on, Rob. Rob's won the best hair in the room game, you know? He, he's also the best smelling. It is the aroma of Christ. Stand by, Rob, and get a whip of victory. It's aqua de jo. Okay, so to make sure that we're tracking, the Olympics were in Olympia, and the Isthmian Games were held in Corinth every two years, and it helped people bridge the gap in their need for contest uh, by holding these uh, games as an interval between the larger contests, right? These games began, listen to this, in 523 BC. And they would have been at the peak of their popularity during the time of Paul's writings. This event would cause the population of Corinth to swell, and most of the visitors needed tents for their lodging. Think about it. They, they didn't have Motel 6 in Corinth. They had to stay in tents. This provided an excellent homiletic for Paul, Priscilla, 
Aquila, and even Apollos because of their association with tent making and their ministry where? In Corinth. The contestants in these games won temporary prestige. They achieved a momentary crown, and they were awarded perishable crowns made of greenery that began to die and wilt the moment that they were formed. So now that you have this knowledge of the Isthmian Games that occurred in Corinth, you're going to be able to get an illusion of the first time that is really beautiful. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and say Olympiad as you're turning there. So we're going to pick up in verse 24. <laughs> Say Olympiad. Olympiad. <laughs> Olympiad. We'll come back to whiffing a little bit, Rob. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Yes. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, no, I beat my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be dis disqualified for the prize. So this, this passage begins with the phrase, do you not know? He is stating this because of the Corinthians' intimate knowledge with the Isthmian Games. And every bit of the language that comes afterward is a direct reference to what happens during the Isthmian Games. I mean, you had events such as uh, foot races, wrestling, the Greek version of mixed martial arts, and this wonderful sport called boxing. Well, the victors of these events, they were rewarded with a temporary crown. And sometimes they consisted of a wreath made of olive branches, and at other times, get this, is a wreath made out of celery yeah so you have a crown of salad on your head yes salad kings and your kingship will last just as long as that celery does definitely a caesar salad <laughs> brother is creative i've been sitting on that for 12 hours since we studied yesterday Waiting for this very moment. I've been training and waiting, and this was my moment. Strict training has produced this. So uh, imagine yourself as a Corinthian, that from 523 B.C. to what we're standing in now in the first century, there's been hundreds of years of these games that occur in your city. And they occur every two years in the Olympiad or the time between the Olympics. So you would be intimately familiar with the entirety of what goes on during that time period. So as an audience that is Corinthian, hearing these words from Paul, their imagery is lucid about the connections that he's trying to make. Well, in addition to the, the games listed, the one I want to focus on is the one about boxing. 
So what Paul begins to emphasize that they were so intimately aware of is that there has to be strict training in order to win. Of course. And win, particularly in boxing. Now, before we go into that a little bit further, when it came to the Isthmian Games, there was a requirement for each competitor. And that requirement was when they showed up to register or be accepted into the games as a competitor, they would have to take an oath. And that oath was to declare that they had been in strict training for the previous 10 months or more. Wow. They couldn't step foot into the arena and begin to compete unless that oath was stated and it was true. That means that no imposters, no flabahammocks, flabahammocks, that's a throwback. No one that would show up just to have the pomp and pageantry of saying that they competed could enter into the arena. They had to prove that they had been through strict training. So bottom line, what Paul is getting at is the intentional utilization of time between major events. And that utilization was to be filled with intense training so that the prize could be obtained. See, he was a man that was familiar with all of the labor, all of the blood, sweat, and tears that is exerted in doing the will of God and being obedient to Christ prior to reaching that final goal. Yeah, church, what Pastor Matt is telling you really begs an important question. What is a flabbahammock? <laughs> Help us out, Pastor. <laughs> Flabbahammock. Flabbahammock is a term that was used in the 80s to describe somebody that was um, flabby. That had a lot of padding from head to toe. Thank you. Now, now back to the, the scripture of 1 Corinthians 9. Because you are LCM, you are some of the most astute biblical scholars that I have ever met in my life. You are already making the spiritual connection in your mind. We, we know that. But we're going to look at a couple translations that are going to be insightful for us. They're going to deepen our understanding of the word. So you're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to read verse 26 in the CJB, and we put it on a slide for you. It says, accordingly, I don't run aimlessly, but straight for the finish line. I don't shadow box but try to make every punch count. You guys are already making the spiritual connection, but now you know the backdrop that Paul is writing to a group of people where one of the largest sporting events of races and boxing happened. They were intimately aware, and he's saying, I don't run aimlessly. I run like I have a finish line in front of me, and I don't box like I'm just warming up or sparring. I actually am contending for something. So we want to tell you very plainly that you guys are running for a finish line. You know that. You have a finish line. You know what you're aiming for in your families. You know what you're aiming for in the kingdom, but you've just begun the race. Keep running. You know that we're in, we're in spiritual warfare. Many times we're in physical warfare. Just think about this morning. Who woke up sick this morning? 
That's, that's a majority of the body. Look, what we did in worship was not shadow boxing with things that are not real. They were physical combat that I'm going to put my flesh underfoot and I'm going to begin contending with it, not like a shadow boxer, but actually landing a few blows to my flesh, landing a few blows to the enemy by letting praise rise up and making his name great. We're going to make every punch count. So violent. Mike is full of zeal and vigor. He's inspiring us all. Yes. Listen, doesn't, doesn't this description of what a life looks like actually give detail to what we live? I mean, this is who we are as LCM. I, I want you to grab that idea with confidence. That there is strict training that goes on in this house because there's an intentionality and a purpose to it. And that is to run for the finish line. That is to make every punch count. What we experienced this morning, look, I, I can guarantee you, There'll be times later on tonight where you're going to have to return back to that same kind of vigor, that same type of force that's going to be applied. And the certainty is that you will win every single time. Now, Erdman's has a description about the Greek word for boxing or to box, used in 1 Corinthians 9, 26. Pull up the next slide. I'm going to read these highlighted parts for you. What Paul has in mind is either a poor boxer who misses his opponent or a sham boxer who will not face an opponent at all, but simply engages in shadow boxing. Sham boxer. Not sham wow, sham boxing. Now, as clear as we can have that visualized in our mind, pay attention now to the second highlighted portion, and that is who we are as LCM. Paul has no time for incompetent or frivolous lunging. Yeah. He is engaged in a vital contest, and he exerts himself to achieve the prize. So here's the fullness of the idea. You are in training. Yes. Day in and day out, this way of life that's biblical and is for and everyone in this house does, you're in training. So guess what happens whenever you're in training? You don't get everything perfect. You try and you try and you try again, and each time you improve that much more. So how much training have we actually gone through so far? Some of you guys, maybe one or two, it's been three months or so, and others, decades. So here's the attitude that we're going to have, is that when we are in this uh, process of training, and repeatedly practicing and trying, and there is a mistake, we're going to act like we've been here before. Act like you've been here before. This is not detrimental. It's not the death. I am not disqualified from the race. Because every time prior, it is proven that I'm becoming more qualified for yes. the race. You're going to act like you've been here before? Yeah. Oh, take us, Peyton. So we've established that you are in training, and there's no more mourning over the times that you don't get something right. You're in training. Can someone say hallelujah that failure is not fatal? 
You are the victorious church of Jesus Christ. There is no other identity that you possess. You're not the victorious church and partially a failure. There's no part-time jobs in the kingdom. When you made your good confession of faith and devoted your life to be a witness, you entered this race that ends in a crown of glory that doesn't fade. You also began your training that conditions you to be able to put your faith in action. When you started your race, you were not as good as you are today. That's because you've been training. This requires empowerment from the spirit of grace. Someone shout grace. Grace. Paul, shout grace. Grace. Yeah. (laughs) That was was great. To go through this training and to enter the race requires the empowerment of the spirit of grace to be evident in your daily practice, in your daily training. Now, it'll be important that you let what we are about to say settle in on you. When you were first empowered by his grace, you entered into the Olympiad cycle of training for the purpose of victory. And I'm just going to let it settle in by reading it one more time at the same pace. When you were first empowered by his grace, church, Remember that first time that you encountered God's presence and he empowered you with his spirit of grace. When that moment happened, you entered into the Olympiad cycle of training for the purpose of victory. Let's all turn to Titus chapter 2. Say Olympiad as you turn. Olympiad. And we're going to let these scriptures settle down into the depths of your soul. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What began as grace is resulting in the product of being zealous to do good works. But we need to ask you guys some questions. And be honest with us. Will you be honest? Yes, you will. So ask yourself this question. Has there been evidence of God's grace in my life. There is? Raise your hand. There should be every hand raised to the sky. This is a confidence that we start with. See, every time that disqualifying, that despairing thought comes in that you are no longer sufficient because you made a mistake, start with the reminder that there is evidence of God's grace in my life. It is on display. Let's go to another one. Are there areas that you are experiencing power over sin? Yes. Well, let's do the hands for that one as well. Raise your hands. I'm talking about those areas that in the past it was not, but currently, today, it is present. 
then you are experiencing the effect of strict training and the, the, what God is producing inside of you that is of real substance that can be trusted more than you feel and more than what you think. Yeah, let's ask you a few more questions. Has there been an increase in your disciplines that are producing a greater display of a self-controlled life? Are you more self-controlled today than you were last year? I know many of you have exponentially grown because many of you have gotten married. Don't think your single life, Ubong, I'm looking at you, Cho, Bonham, don't think that your single life is for nothing. You are training and you are becoming more and more filled with his grace, putting sin underfoot and becoming more self-controlled. God wants to add to your life, but he's not going to let you do that without the training beforehand. The last question we want to ask you, because Titus 2, we, we tend to focus on, well, I've experienced his grace, and I got the dirt get down attitude, power over sin, that's God's grace. But there's another facet that we forget, being zealous for good works. You're not trying to just outrun your sin, you're putting it underfoot. What you're trying to run to and be zealous for are the good works that bring God honor. How you become more proficient at pursuing those works is you become more trained and more diligent and disciplined in hearing from your father and immediately knowing exactly where his feet were planted. That's how you walk with the Lord. But it also begs many questions, which if you're anything like me, when you read the scripture, you have a lot of questions. And engaging with Titus 2, it made me ask a lot of questions about my own life, and I'm going to share them with you so that you can wrestle with them. What causes men to forget or doubt the evidence of God's grace in their lives? What causes men to forget or doubt? What causes me to forget or doubt the evidence of God's grace? What in my life or what in your life makes you want to stop training or lead you to renegotiate, renegotiating your training process? Yes, satanic despair. Because satanic despair gets in between your ears and tries to tell you that your efforts are futile. It tries to take the finish line out of the picture. It tries to take the real opponent and get you to fight a shadow. Has anyone seen a shadow? Shadows are very real. When sun hits an impenetrable object, it casts a shadow. Shadows are real, but they are not physical in form. And the satanic deception is to make you feel like that's where the battle is. The battle is not in the shadows. The battle's ahead of you with an actual opponent. Let me share with you out of my own life, where this satanic despair really, it, it honestly, it, now it makes me mad, but it did try to snare my foot for a season. Most of you know I love training. I love anything athletic that pushes my body to the limit. I, I enjoy it. I spend a lot of time with Adam Cora, with many of you, training and, and working out. That is important, but how much more spiritual things? 
One satanic deception that's happened in the last several months is I've had to wait for things that God was going to bring about. And the satanic deception was that somehow God training me through a perceived extended period, which is really not, it's like 50 days. But it, it was, the perception was that, man, this is forever and it's never going to happen. Where I was deceived is I was knocked off course to feel like this time of waiting was futile. And it showed up in my, my mashlomka. It showed up in actually every area of my life. Because I had forgotten about the finish line, because I had forgotten about the actual things I was contending, I was running aimlessly, and I was shadow boxing with things that were not real. Can I tell you how much despair is not something that you actually need to worry about fighting with? It's not real. Just take a moment to open up your Bible, open up your heart, and get before your father so he can show you what this actually looks like. And what you will see every single time, even if the season is difficult, all it is is a training session. Not despair. He's not throwing you away. It is training. Now, before we go too much into that, we're going to move forward into a couple of scriptures. But we want to tell you that the goal has never changed, church. As you're hearing my testimony and you're thinking about your own life and you're like, man, I really am battling with this despair and leading my wife, this despair and following my husband or raising my children or my job or whatever it may be, you need to remember this. So hear what I'm about to say. The goal of your faith, the goal of God's empowerment, his grace in your life has always been the same. It is his glory and you receiving a crown of life. That is the end goal. That is the finish line. That is what we're aiming for, nothing else. Okay? So if you're looking towards even promises being fulfilled, like a marriage or children, that is just, just months or even years away, that is a blessing. That is not the goal. The goal is beyond that thing, and everything that God is taking you through is just training to inherit those blessings so you can rightly steward them and rightly take care of them. Are you following on that? Can I pass it off to you? Come on with it. I was talking a lot. No, it's good. It's, it's, it's excellent. Are you guys beginning to see the reality of what we are combating against in our training? Yes. Well, Many times over, we have been through seasons where we would rather go attack something physical than take care of where the battle really lies. Yes, me. So that, that satanic despair begins to come over you. And instead of looking to the word and trusting it, standing on it, saying it out loud, what the word says is true that counters it, there's a distraction to go want to put your hands to something that's a, a contest. Something that you can tangibly hold on to that will validate what satanic despair is trying to ob obstruct. Well, that's me. Definitely me. me. Too. That all these thoughts of inadequacy, these satanic lies begin to come about. And so I'll diverge to something that I'm good at with my hands. So there's always vehicles to fix. There's always things around the house to go build or, or whatever. But it's deceptive. 
It's so deceptive because I'm sitting there at my desk and these thoughts of inadequacy are rolling through my head that I won't have enough and blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, this project pops into my mind. Someone calls and says, hey, you know, I had this problem uh, with the brakes on my car. Do you have any suggestions? And I am in my truck and roaring that way. Rather than just going back to the strict training of taking the word and throwing a punch that counts right in the face of that satanic despair. When I actually plant my feet and I hold my ground and I say no and have a holy defiance against that, against that satanic despair, you know what happens? The identity of Christ inside of me begins to become crystal clear. I know who I am as a son of God. I know the content and substance of divinity that's within me. And what will flow out of that is what people will need as I come into contact with them. Despair gets knocked out, flat on his back. So when we're looking at the physical battle and it not being the real battle, it's really between our ears, remember that the training process is the triumphal procession. Because it says that Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. The strain you feel in the training process is there for the purpose of revealing the areas that you can grow in. Every competitor that journeyed to Corinth for the Isthmian Games had to put themselves through the training that literally pushed their bodies beyond what they think or thought that it could do. These athletes, you know what they were? They were human. They were human beings just like us. And they certainly had a battle between their own ears on a daily basis. It was no longer about a a true contest of physique and talent when they got to those games. It was a a mental game. It was a battle between the mind or between the ears and your mind. So those thoughts that can pop up is, have I been working hard enough? Am I cutting any corners in my training? Will I match up to the competition? Am I good enough to be among the best? What if I lose? What if I don't get this right? If I came in second, would I be satisfied with my performance? All of these things are satanic deceptions. And taking your stand on the truth of what God does say about you has to triumph over them. So let's help you by reviewing a little bit of what's going on with the Isthmian Games. The battle between the ears of those athletes was not just for one Isthmian game or one Isthmian event. The Isthmian Games were just one of many competitions of the Olympiad. Just one of many. When one event was over, then it was time to begin training for the next one. I want you to follow with me. You're LCM. You're already making the spiritual connection. That means, in addition to the constant battle between the ears... The competitors had a secondary battle that occurred between the years. Is that speaking to anyone in this room? It's not that you just have a battle between your ears. It's the thought that this is not a one-time event. I'm going to have to keep at this. And sometimes that's daunting. So let us help you with an example. Don't we all have a battle between our ears that seems to be constantly waging war on our confidence Look, I'm not giving it any, any glory today. I'm just going to acknowledge that 
yes, I do have a battle between my ears, but we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to destroy those things. And we're, we're going to show you in the scripture in just a moment. If that was not enough to just have a battle between your ears, we've all felt those stir- stomach-turning moments that once you've fought through a season or you've, you've successfully come out with a resolution of a difficult conversation, right after that, there always seems to be another really difficult situation just waiting there, poised, perched, ready, like, hey, I'm glad you made it. want to tell you today that that is God's design for our lives. He wants us to constantly be training because he wants us to constantly be winning. Because it's supposed to be a triumphal process. Your season of faith is not supposed to be riddled with a bunch of L's and then you show up on the big game and all of a sudden, woo, supernatural victory. No, he always leads us in triumphal procession. He wants you to win in every situation. So just because you messed up once or because you failed once, that does not negate all the training that you've been doing. It just means you have some areas that you can grow in. We're calling you out this morning so that you stay in the fight. No more despair. Don't give them any glory, any more glory than they deserve. They deserve nothing from you. All they deserve is to be put under your foot and ground into the dust. We want you to re-enter and continue in this race and keep training because we have many victories that are ours in Christ. So we want to help make you uh, or help you make some practical applications. And this morning, we're going to continue our training in this triumphal procession. So we're all familiar with 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to knock the dust off of it so we can rise to our feet and run the race with confidence. Everybody turn to 2 Corinthians 10. Say Olympiad as you turn. Olympiad. Verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What this passage is declaring to us this morning is that there is to be a holy defiance. I mean, you guys know what defiance looks like. We have small kids. Well, we're talking about a holy defiance as full-grown adults. Holy defiance to each and every internal combatant that stands in opposition to who God is in you. So we're talking about those arguments, pretensions, self or the exalting thoughts against Christ. Those are the ones that are happening between your ears. And you are to have a holy defiance that looks it square in the face and does not permit it to exist. I refuse to let you live between my ears. We're taking captive thoughts which you know not to be true. Those very things that are shadows have no real substance. And we're landing punches that count in the face of those thoughts that seek to argue with the evidence of God's grace in your life. Knocking out the pretensions that magnify a minuscule moment of fleshly response because they're seeking to deliver a low blow to your confidence. Mm. 
Saints, listen to me carefully. You have the right to swing your fist with fury at these thoughts. Oh, man, don't just, just take a glove and slap him in the face a couple of times. Swing with fury at these thoughts. You're going to strike back with Scripture, the very ones that you have been trained by, because you have the experience over and over again that these thoughts are just lies. So don't be discouraged when these thoughts keep coming back for more. Give them more. As they, if they stand back up, knock them right back down. Plant your feet and give them the right hook of holy defiance again and again and again. Like the athletes of the Isthmian Games, your constant use of the word against these thoughts are training your senses to distinguish good from evil. And doing that prior to the major events that you're having to repeat the training over and over again for. This is ensuring that your skills are no longer a lengthy debate, but an instinctual reflex that destroys and also takes captive. It's about time for a proverb. You guys ready for that? I hope you see 2 Corinthians in a new light today. Because when you think of taking thoughts captive, most of us have a very head knowledge, a head knowledge of that, not the practical understanding. When you have fleeting thoughts, when they're coming into your head and you're like, this is not true, but it kind of feels true. Don't be like a kid with a butterfly net who's just trying to catch thoughts out of the ether. Stand up like a soldier, like a trained athlete, and put that opponent on the floor, stand over him and say, if you get up, you and I are going to have a couple more rounds of me putting you in the dirt, right? That's how we take caught that. Yeah, there's, there's words I wanted to use that uh, I haven't used in so long. <laughs> but this is a holy defiance because our God is a warrior. He is a king. Proverbs 3, verse 25. It says, have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. How important are your feet in a race? You're just going to like outnub the competition? You need your feet to be protected and unsnared. This morning, church, we want to say, have no fear. There is no fear in failure. It just means that there's more training that you get to engage in. You all have the grace of God that is active in your life. It has both been active and continually being in action every single day. This is more than just power over your sin. It is his grace in you that empowers you to be zealous for the good works. To actually step into the ring, step onto the track, and come out with a victory. Don't let those thoughts of failure sweep you off your feet. Has anyone played football and gotten swept off their feet? Look, I am five foot four, and in high school, I weighed like 125 pounds. And everyone was much bigger than me. I know what it's like to get swept off my feet. But why we're telling you not to fear is because you might get swept off your feet, but get back up on your feet because your Lord is not going to let your feet be snared. 
He knows how much you need them, and he's committed to protecting them. Your confidence in this race, in the Olympiad, does not come from your own strength, but from the strength you have in the Lord who's sustaining you. The confidence that is forged, catch us on this, confidence is forged through the training in righteousness and the wrestling with God in prayer. Do you view prayer as, I'm not just requesting God, it really becomes beautiful when you view it as, I'm training, Lord, I need to wrestle with you about this topic. And he will train you. And you'll come out with a blessing. You'll come out with a revelation every single time because it's what he wants for you. I know many of you need to hear that. You need to hear that you don't need to be afraid. And you also need to hear that if you reach out to him and wrestle with him in prayer, he's already waiting. He wants your success. He wants you to come out victorious. He gave his whole life. He shed his own blood so that you would have it. There's no reason to doubt and give in to those satanic despairing thoughts that somehow you're a failure. Somehow he doesn't have your best interest in mind. We're definitely going much higher today. The spirit of grace, church, say grace. grace. The spirit of grace is running alongside of you today. If you've experienced his grace in the past, then take confidence today because right now as you sit in your seat, the spirit of grace is right there beside you. He's right there inside of you so that you can finish your race with confidence and come out with victory. You know what one facet of that grace is that's running right beside us? It's the fact that we don't have to train alone. Yeah. We're not isolated into difficulties but we have one another to gain strength and confidence from. See that, that, that statement in the proverb that Pastor Peyton just read, that he will not let your foot slip. He will not let your foot come out from underneath you. That is something that you are gleaning from the Lord, but it's also from having someone right next to you. So watch. Let's continue in verse 27 in that same proverb. And it's going to give us some direction of how we interact with each other during these times of training. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it. When, it. when it is in your power to act, do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow, when you now have it with you. <clears throat> so the households that are feeling the strain on their minds and bodies as they press forward in righteousness should take note of these verses and find great encouragement in them. When you're in, when you're in training, sometimes you get hurt. There are days when you are fatigued, exhausted, woe out. There are weeks in the Olympiad cycle where you are working to refine an area of skills, and training is supposed to be hard but not done outside of a yeah. team or community. Saints, every one of you has the good that has resulted from months and years of the Lord training you. You possess it. It's within your repertoire of experience. This means that you have something to offer to one another. When you begin to hear of a, a, a process, an event that your brother or sister is going through in training, open your eyes, open your ears, and listen. You are standing in front of them because God gave you an experience that can be an aid in strengthening them in that process. In addition to that, you also have the power to act, just as the Proverbs has said. And give your brother what they need to continue the tra training. So th the direction for us all is that we act. 
We act upon the good that we have received from our experience. So be the first to run to your side of your brother. Be the first to run to your wife, run to your children, your husband, and give them what they need. Why? Because they deserve it. And if you are the recipient of it, see yourself in that exact same light, that you need the good that comes from one another because you have been made worthy to receive it. That's something we could all grow in in this room. Let me just be very pashat, very clear. If your husband is trying to get it right, be the first to run to his side and say, let's go. How can I help? If your wife is trying to submit to you and follow you and hear your direction, then be the first to say, yes, that's exactly what I want. I cannot wait to show you and teach you. If your children are trying to get something right and they are trying to obey, but they are actually having a difficult time, put into action what they need because it is in your power to give them something good. They deserve it because God saw that you deserve to have children. Don't take it for granted, church. Hey, we're going higher tonight. We're going higher because the scripture calls us to go higher. We need to challenge you on some areas, but realize that that failure, if you identify it, is just an opportunity for you to grow and to get back to the training. Nobody, literally nobody, trained for the Isthmian Games by doing nothing. (laughs) No one showed up in Corinth every two years and it's like, Man, this has been such a good season of doing nothing. I feel ready to compete. (laughs) There is not a passive way to getting into the kingdom. There is not a passive route that we can take to to, uh, obtain the victor's crown. There's not a passive route. It is all based on action. Those actions become more skilled the more that you train. But at the end of the day, did you put into action what you know to be right, great or small. That's how we prepare, church, by putting into action. You must put the grace of God that is evident in your life actually into action. Put feet to your faith. Get back to the race. Take captive those thoughts that are taunting you to throw you in, they're taunting you to throw in the towel or get get this one. This one I was convicting last night. It's not that I actually... Like those taunting thoughts are wanting me to throw in the towel. Maybe you've wrestled with that one, but this one got me and I'm going to share it with you. Those taunting thoughts, they're they're only there to make me consider lessening the training regimen. It's like, hey, you're a failure. Okay, that's a stupid thought. It's like, this is going to be hard. I'm like, "Mm, maybe I should consider what I'm about to engage in. Still taunting thoughts and still need to be put to death. If you're ever being tempted to lessen the training regiment, know that our Father does not work that way. He's always increasing, and he's always leading you in what kind of procession? A triumphal one. Don't lose your confidence in the years between the major events. Don't lose your confidence because you feel like you have many more battles ahead of you. Trust me. They are the Isthmian games in your lives, and you are going to be victorious. And in the time between, it's going to be some of the most rigorous but fruitful training in your life. That's why we're sharing this word with you today. 
You will get the privilege to put your faith on display by sticking to the training with your whole mind, your whole will, and emotions, and you will finish with the crown of life, having made yourself ready every single day before. You show up on race day because every day before was grace day. You walked in his grace every single day until you were confronted with the situation, but you were the elite athlete on the field. Those, those thoughts could not take you captive. That situation couldn't get you to deny the faith or lessen the training. No, you had the standard worked into your very soul and cannot be turned from it. Do we have men and women in this house who are going to joyfully walk in triumphal procession? Yeah! Who take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ? Yes. Well, there's one final exercise of faith that we must share with you on how we walk in the triumphal procession. Everyone turn to Acts chapter 10 and say Olympiad as you turn. Olympiad. We're going to pick up with verse 14. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, what you're familiar with from last Tuesday is that this is the time when Simon or, or Peter is on Simon of Tanner's roof and there's a vision. The Lord is speaking to him a direction. He's training his son. And Peter's response is surely not. Well, Peter is one of our favorite characters in the entire word. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because he's an excellent model of a man who is constantly being publicly trained for future victories. There was a prize that he was being aimed at. His very statement in this passage is not the first time he tells the Lord, surely not. His candid replies to the Lord's direction has given us a sober reality of our own. So think of the times in your own life, in the secrecy of your own thoughts, that you have said the same thing when the Spirit of God is training you to act with greater skill than you currently possess. Come on. Many, many times. Outwardly, you're proclaiming that you can act, even if you sit in silence and nod your head in agreement. However, your inner man is being pummeled with the plaguing thought that you can't, and you say no to the Lord. Well, I have hope for you this morning. Yes. Not only is this thought a lie, we have the opportunity to see that thought as sin, and we're not going to continue in that attitude. Yeah, turn from it. Instead, we're going to heed the counsel that the Lord spoke to Peter three times, and it will train you to rise in confidence and turn us from the sinful state of faithless thinking. So look at verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything. Everybody say anything. anything. Impure what God has made clean. This counsel that is being spoken to Peter is a loving father speaking to his son. And it's the same exact word that's being spoken to us. The counsel for each and every one in this room is do not call anything impure in you that God has made clean in you. 
To call impure what he has made clean is to disregard the sanctity and cleansing effect of the blood of your covenant with the Lord. So do not desecrate what he has made holy in you by siding and agreeing with the thoughts that seek to disqualify his redemptive workmanship in your own life. Look, even Peter's response of no to the Lord in Acts 10, it was not met with immediate death. You realize that? The Lord did not strike him dead because he said that. How did the father react to his son? It was countered with divine direction of what he was to then act upon in the battle between his own ears. So up to this point, he had already said no two times, and this was his third. So most of you are familiar with one of them when Jesus spoke of his upcoming crucifixion. But we're going to focus on the less familiar one as we approach a close. Stay with us in the last couple minutes. We're going to read from John 13. We're going to pick up in verse 7. Olympiad. Are you guys there? Are you ready? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. As the great shepherd, Jesus plainly says that understanding the method of training will come after you engage in it. After you engage with it, after you engage in the training and what Jesus is asking, you will begin to understand it because you've experienced it. Peter's response of, you shall never wash my feet is a flat-out no to the king who is preparing him in the time between major events. Think of the major events in Peter's life. This was just one moment of Jesus training him in, for the Isthmian Games, the time in between major events. Jesus' reply, though, is loving and direct. He says, if I don't wash you or train you, you have no share with me, meaning you have no participation in the triumphal process. There's something beautiful that we're going to get into in just a few moments. But consider the weight of this. Peter is about to lose his salvation over a foot washing event. It's because there's something that we don't see in the text, and you have to see it today. Every family, look up here. You have to hear this message. It's not just washing feet. There's something more. If it, was, if it was just washing feet, maybe it wouldn't end. And if I don't do this, you have no part in me. But this is of salvific importance for the families in this house. And we want you to grasp it. We want you to go with us because it's going to change your very life. Let's read verse 9 and see Peter's reply to Jesus' statement. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Our response to the standard of training is exactly like Peter's. And here's what I mean. Lord, wash all of me. Now, now there is nothing clean about me at all. I want a fresh start, a new beginning, because obviously 
nothing good resides in me. I just missed the mark again, and now I need to go back to square one. What we're doing this morning is that we are learning not to call anything impure what God has made clean. Jesus' directions were only to wash his feet. Why? Because it was only his feet that were dirty. It wasn't his entire body. It wasn't his entire being. It's not as if he had reverted back to a pre-salvation state. What we're going to conquer this morning is all those thoughts of satanic despair and doubt that seek to rob you of the confidence of the salvation that you already possess and teach you, train you of knowing the difference between having a foot or your feet washed versus a whole body being cleansed. But let's go to the very next verse to get even more clarity about this. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. That means his feet may be dirty, but the whole man is completely clean. Yes, can you smell the victory in that statement? Yes. That is what it looks like to have the victory and aroma of Christ emitting from your very life. Come on, you can be just standing in a room filled with people of all different sorts and kinds, and because you are clean, they can have the fragrance of Christ pass before them. And those that hunger for that victory, those that hunger for that life, will want the training that you have received, and at all costs are willing to pursue it. But man, this morning, this morning we have the opportunity to rightfully stand before the Lord and follow his directions of just having our feet washed. It's simple. It's not complex. Our bodies... Our beings are clean because he has made them completely clean. It's only feet that are unclean. And that solution is going to be to come to the altar with confidence. Come to the altar with heads held high and just recognizing his direction of what sanctification looks like at the moment. Lord, wash my feet. And once there's that washing of the feet, as you're still standing is that you're going to rise in confidence to get back in the race, to get back into the boxing ring, to get back into the fight. Because God has ordained for us all to stand before him with confidence and therefore to advance his kingdom with confidence. Church, stand to your feet. We asked you many times this morning if you have experienced the grace of God. Every hand in the room was raised. That means if you have failed or are failing in an area, you don't need to be renewed and start all over again. You just need your feet washed. That's all it is. Come to this altar as we begin to worship. 
Come before the Lord in confidence and have your feet washed so that you can get back in the race. Church, there is a crown of victory for those who persist in this way. And with our king at our side, there is no chance of coming in second. We will be victorious. Holy One, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word being revealed to us. Mighty God, right now we say, wash our feet. Wash our feet, mighty God, and make us clean. Renew our walk with you that we might stand in the great contest, that we might run our race towards the finish line and fight like a man who is contending with the very gates of hell. May your name be praised, Jesus. Amen. All I see when I look at you are victorious sons. We'll give you two thoughts in one scripture and then we're going to walk out of here in victory. In my own life, I often feel like I was closer to the Lord in the past. Anybody in here feel that way? That's because you already won that battle and are still standing here. And you're actually a little bit scared about the next battle. That's, that's all that is. It's not true. It's not real. In fact, you won the last one, which is why you're standing here. Secondly, about your feet. Let's, let's just get real for a minute. We all step in stuff sometimes. But it's not on your face. It's not on your head. It's not actually in your heart. It's just on your shoes. That's why you don't need a whole bath. You actually just need to wipe up those feet some. So you can keep running and have traction in the kingdom. Let me give you a scripture that speaks to that, that we all hear, but we don't always understand. It is 1 John 5, 4, and we're closing on this. For everyone, somebody say everyone. everyone. By the way, that includes you. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Now there's this little like hyphenated thing right there. It's not in the text, but they put that there to help you understand this sentence. What is it that overcomes the world? Which is the belief that you are presently overcoming the world. Do you see how that's a positive feedback loop? I may got some stuff on my shoes, but yeah, I'm overcoming the world. I'm gonna move on from that. If we learn to do that, then it'll stick to you less. <laughs> and your training will produce victory because you already have the victory. You just gotta walk like it. Honestly, it feels a little bit schizophrenic sometimes. It's like, I, I got something on my shoes, but my act like it's not there, I'm gonna wipe it off, I'm gonna keep going. We're not actually denying our feet need to be clean, we're just declaring that they are being clean while we move forward. Let us walk in victory. Practically apply what you heard about this message to your marriage, to your children, to your workplace, to whatever your last screw up was. There is a people in this world they cannot admit they had a last screw up. They just can't do it. They think it hurts their witness. They have no witness. 
because our witness is that we are being trained and although things get on our feet, they don't stay there. That is our actual witness. So we're going to pray victoriously. We're going to walk out. Actually, there's a meeting after this. We're going to have a victorious meeting after this. And whatever was sticking to you when you came in, that's why we are doormat ministries. Come in here, clean that mess up, and walk out holy, pure, righteous, zealous for good works. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have made us clean. Lord, we declare it in faith. You have made us clean. Lord, we thank you for the crown that awaits us. We lay hold of it in faith and have the title deed to it now. In the name of Jesus, we pray.